0: And we're going to be talking this week about spiritual authority, about spiritual warfare, which may not sound like it's real exciting at first, but I really believe that this is a pivotal issue and it's something that the Lord specifically placed on my heart. I believe this is going to be a real blessing to you. Amen. And I know that some of the things I'll be sharing, especially here this morning, in ways of introduction may be kind of elementary to some of you here at Freedom Christian Center. And you may think, oh man, we've heard this so many times, but... I just need to share it as we start dealing with this, but I can promise you before the week's out, as we continue to talk about this, we'll be sharing some things that I believe will really, really help you, and it will help make some things work. Um, As Dean said, we were down town this morning, and we ministered, and I shared just a little bit of this with some of the people that were down there at this morning's service, but... um, we are in a war, we're in spiritual warfare, like it or not. Somebody may say, well, I don't want to hear about this. Well, you are in the battle, so you might as well learn these things. it make it a lot easier on you. Amen. Amen. Let's look here in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul was talking about this in verse 10, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, this is a scripture that I'll be coming back to quite a bit. I'm not going to spend much time on it this morning, but uh, boy, there's a lot of information right here. In verse 12, it says, "'For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, "'but against principalities, against powers, "'against the rulers of the darkness of this world, "'against spiritual wickedness in high places. "'Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, "'that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, "'and having done all to stand. "'Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Uh, et cetera, etc. But anyway, here he was talking about spiritual warfare. And notice that he said that you have to be strong in the Lord to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then in verse 12 he says, We are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness, and spiritual wickedness in high places. And you know, it's just amazing, but constantly I deal with people who, even though they've heard these passages of Scripture, they do not really understand this and apply it in their everyday life. Uh, we were dealing with a lot of people this morning, you know, who've had some real hard things happen. And you look at that, and you say, "Well, maybe it's easy to see that, boy, this is just the devil that's oppressing them." But there's a lot of you that may not—it may not be as obvious. But it didn't say that this is just for certain people. This is for everybody. Satan is uh, out to get you. Amen. And I know some of you are looking at me like, "Oh, brother, you don't know my situation and stuff." Well, the only reason you aren't running in the devil is if you're going in the same direction. If you're going in an opposite direction in the devil, you'll bump into him. Amen. Bible says in Second Timothy, uh, yeah, Second Timothy chapter three verse twelve that all those who live godly in Christ Jesus sh- shall suffer persecution. Jesus even said this in John chapter ten verse ten. He says the thief comes for no purpose except to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy from you. And he's not going to come in a pitchfork, you know, in a red suit and horns and stuff like that. That would be real obvious. But it's real subtle. And the first thing I'm trying to do this morning as we start talking about spiritual authority is just to let you know that whether you recognize it or not, whether you're conscious of it or not, you are constantly in a battle against spiritual forces. And it's not just a natural battle that we're in. There's a lot of people today that they think it's luck that determines how things go in their life they think it's all kinds of things and, and it's just not that simple there are spiritual powers in, op- in operation behind everything that goes on and if you aren't aware of this and if you aren't standing in the spiritual realm Satan is gonna beat you there is no such thing as luck there is no such thing as fate there is no such thing as just you know hard times falling on you and you don't know why these kind of things happen there are there is a devil that is fighting us and to be victorious you've got to identify who the enemy is we have an enemy that is coming against us. Boy, y'all, some of y'all just do not believe this. Some of you believe all the devils are over in Africa. There's demons right here in this tent. Some of you are thinking, brother, I don't believe that. We prayed over this thing. We've been fasting and praying and there isn't any devil within a mile of here. Well, you brought him. I've heard people before say, I'm pleading the blood over this place and Satan can't get in here. Satan can't do anything. You can't do that. If we pled the blood over this tent and no demons could come within any uh range of this tent, nobody would be here. Every last one of us have strongholds in our life where Satan is doing something. Now, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get involved in this argument about whether it's demon-possessed, or demon oppressed, or depressed, or whatever-pressed. It doesn't matter about the degrees of it. The Bible just uses a word that means demonized. The Bible doesn't make a differentiation between whether it's oppressed, depressed, possessed, all of these kind of things. It just means that you've got Satan bothering you. And uh, there's people that make big arguments and say, Boy, if you're born again, you can't have any demonic problems in your life. Well, that's not true. That is not true. And I could go into a lot of explanation on this. I'm just going to say some things real quickly, but it's your spirit that's born again. It's your spirit that that is born again and that has God inhabiting it, but your mind and your body can be controlled and dominated by the devil to varying degrees. And it doesn't matter what word you use. You know, some people say, well, you can't be truly possessed. But, you know, this is my pen right here. I own it. But if I give it to my brother right here, it's in his possession. He's possessed it. But that doesn't mean it's his. That's right. Give me my pen.
1: <laughs>
0: and see, it's the same thing. We belong to the Lord, and your spirit is a part of you that's born of God and that has the Lord inhabiting it, but Satan can afflict you. And brothers and sisters, you need to recognize it's just not normal, it's not natural a lot of the things that are happening. I just had a couple back here tell me about yesterday, they had a car wreck that everybody should have been killed and they just walked out of it, they lost their car but they walked out of it and here they are, they're healthy and that's not just normal and natural, I guarantee you there were spiritual forces at work that protected their life. And we lots of times just don't recognize that we are in a battle. Satan and God are in a battle, and you are the treasure. You're the thing that they're fighting over. And this battle is waging, and you have to be aware that there is a battle. I mean, Paul right here is saying, stand strong, you're fighting a battle, and he tells you about all these pieces of armor. Most Christians aren't even in the battle. Well, you can just imagine somebody, you know, running around with nothing but their helmet of salvation on, and the rest of them, they're stripped naked. They don't have any weapons. They don't have any warfare. They, don't, they think that this is all for somebody else. I guarantee you Satan's fighting you. There's supernatural things going on in your life. The financial problems that you have, emotional problems that you have, and all these kind of things. There, there are reasons why things happen, but they aren't just physical reasons. See, this is the reason psychology and so many things, much of religion falls short and ministering to people today, because it isn't taking into account the spiritual realm. It isn't recognizing the spiritual battle. They're trying to solve all of your problems through only natural means. They're trying to tell you the reason your life is so messed up is because you weren't loved appropriately when you were a kid, because this happened. And they're giving you all of these physical, natural reasons to explain why you are such the jerk that you are. Amen. <laughs> And that's just not true. Now, those things may have been inroads that Satan uses to get into your life. They may have been something that there was a traumatic experience that caused you to open up to a spirit and open up to all of these things. But ultimately, it's a spiritual battle that you're in. And you just can't overcome things in the natural realm. There's a lot of people that think nobody controls me. I'm a self-made man. I do whatever I want to. You know what? A person with that attitude is being dominated and controlled by the devil. Right. Satan is—Satan uses yourself as probably the biggest inroad into your life. When a person is self-centered and thinking, "I'm self-made and I do whatever I want," you are a puppet of the devil. Thank you for that thunder silence. Most people believe that there's God and then there's the devil and then there's a large amount that's just totally us whatever we want to choose. Well, your choice, if you aren't choosing God, you are automatically, by default, choosing the devil. If you're choosing self, you're choosing the devil. Satan loves that. Self will send you to hell. Self will keep you poor. Self will keep you sick. Self will destroy your life. And so Satan, he doesn't have to get you to totally rebel at God. He doesn't have to get you to totally hate God. Just be run by yourself, controlled by yourself, and he's won. He's got you. Satan loves it when people think they're a self-made man and that I'm not ready yet to let God control me, but I'm not serving the devil, I'm just doing my own thing. It's not your own thing. The devil's the one that's destroying you. And see, people, I'm trying to just get a point across here this morning, but a lot of people don't make this connection that your actions have spiritual impact. You know, I preach a tremendous amount on grace. Grace. I tell people that God loves them in spite of what they do and that God doesn't deal with you based on your performance. And I believe that. And I believe it's important because most people feel that it's God rejecting them and God punishing them and that if they do something wrong and then their life falls apart, they feel that it's God's judgment on their life. And I really feel it's important to share with people that it's the grace of God, not, not works. But you know what? Your actions do have spiritual impact. There is not only God out there, there is also a demonic realm. And people don't understand this. If you're if you're living in adultery, if you're going and committing sin, I'm here to tell you that God loves you, that God wants to change your life, that God wants to intervene. God hasn't rejected you because of immorality in your life. But you know what? You're committing adultery is giving place to spiritual powers in your life that are destroying you and corrupting you and many people don't even recognize this. They think it's just a matter of, well, it's either God. If, if I'm serving God, God will bless me and if I'm not serving God, God will reject me, God will punish me. That's not it at all. There's a spiritual force out there, Satan, and he goes about seeking whom he may devour is what it says in First Peter chapter 5, I believe, verse 8. He can't just devour you. You have to yield to him. And so it's not, it's not that God's going to send you to hell for committing adultery or having sex outside of marriage, but you know what? You yield to that kind of thing, and Satan will destroy your life. All right. Every time you do it, you just, you know, if you would do this, just every time you want to go commit some type of adultery, every time you want to go get drunk, every time you want to be on drugs, every time you want to do something, just kneel down and say, Satan, I'm asking you to just take possession of me through this thing. Some of you would say, I never do that. You're doing it. You just aren't formalizing a prayer. But every time you yield yourself, every time you go contrary to what God's telling you, it's not that God's going to get you or that God hates you. God's a God of mercy and grace. But you are just, in a sense, inviting the devil into your life. Satan shoots your best shot. He comes for no other purpose, to steal, kill, and destroy. Some of you think, well, I can do things that are contrary to God, and it's not necessarily going to give place to the devil. I, Satan is just, I mean, he's like a chicken on a June bug. Every time you do something wrong, boy, the devil's going to jump on that. Boy, some of you are looking at me strange. <laughs> I'm trying to get something across here that most people don't realize there's consequences. We're blaming society and saying, you don't understand. It's because I was born in this situation. I was born into poverty. I'm a second generation welfare. And so blame welfare and blame everybody else for your situation. Or blame the fact that you don't have an education in this and that. That's not what the problem is. Satan is the one that oppresses Satan is the one that's coming against us and destroying us. And there are reasons why people are in the bondage that they are in. There are spiritual forces at work. God's plan for you is good. Look over here in Jeremiah chapter 29 at this passage of Scripture. Some of you need to get hold of this, memorize it, write it on your forehead. Every time you look in the mirror, you need to read this. Jeremiah chapter 29 Verse 11, he says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. God has good plans for you. God loves every last one of us. God never made any junk. God's never made a failure. You didn't happen. You didn't evolve. You didn't crawl out from under a rock. Man, you were created by a creator. You're a masterpiece. God has made every one of us special. And He had a plan, a purpose for your life. There's so many people today that don't understand this, and they just think it's up to them to pick and choose. And they let circumstances and just things mold their life instead of determining. Instead of being a force that decides and chooses, they just get pushed along with life. And whatever comes, that just seems to be what happens in their life. Well, you need to recognize God gave you more authority than that. God's given you more power than that. God didn't intend for your life. Many of you have dreams, hopes, desires, goals that you have put on the shelf, thrown away, given up years ago and thought, well, it just didn't for me. It didn't work. That's not so. You can choose what your life's going to be. You know, I share this with people all the time. and People just get shot because most people really feel like that I can't control my life. It's fate. It's just all of these things. That is not so. And God's not the one that's just controlling your life either. God has a purpose, a plan for you, thoughts of peace. But you can look around and tell that not everybody's experiencing peace in their life. Not everybody is experiencing God's best. There's some people that believe, well, whatever happens to me, it has to be God's will. Nothing can happen but what God wills, and that is not true. That is not the truth. God's will does not automatically come to pass in your life. I can prove that by a thousand things, but the simplest is probably Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 9. That passage of Scripture says, God isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That just makes it, I mean, that's as clear as you can get. His will is for you not to perish, but come to repentance. And yet the Lord Jesus said that there would be more people enter by the broad gate unto destruction than there would by the narrow gate unto everlasting life so Jesus is in effect saying that God's will for every person to be saved does not automatically come to pass why not because there is an enemy out there who's fighting against us and ultimately it's your choice you are the one that has the ability to choose and set the pace for your life if you don't like the way your life is going you can't blame it on your job or lack of job you can't blame it on the color of your skin you can't blame it on your income you can't blame it on your society You have to put the blame right here. God has a perfect plan for you. The devil has a perfect plan of destruction for you. But ultimately, you're the one that gets to choose. It's your choice. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, Behold, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your seed may live. God said that He's given us a choice. There's life and death, blessing and cursing, and then He said, You choose. By saying you choose, He's saying, I'm not going to choose for you. God's got a perfect plan for you. But He's not going to make it automatically come to pass. The devil's got a plan for every one of you, too. But it cannot be forced on you. This whole thing about the devil made me do it is a lie, it's a deception. The devil's never made anybody do anything. All he's done is tempt you, and you're the one that destroys your own life. But God has a plan. Satan has a plan, but you're the one that gets to choose. He told you, you choose. God gave you the choice. Well, i tell you, if you can understand what I'm saying, this week I'm going to say this so many different ways. We're going to go into different things. We're going to explain this frontwards and backwards. And I promise you, if you can get hold of this truth, it'll change your life. You can choose what the rest of your life wants to be. There's some of you that are just passive and you're, you're praying and you're pleading with God. Oh, God, I'm asking you for things to change in my life. You need financial miracles. You need physical miracles in your body. You're needing all of these things, and you're just in a passive position of asking God, and then you're waiting on a touch from God. God has given you the ability to choose. You can literally choose what you want the rest of your life to be like. You can choose what this next year is going to be like. You know, there's a man in Denver who just a few years ago was on the streets, He was a drunk, he was an alcoholic, and he was living under the bridge. And before that, he'd been a contractor, and he had a a good life going, and then his wife died. And he became so bitter at God, at life, at everything about it just isn't fair that he got to drinking. And before you knew it, he was on the streets in Denver, an alcoholic, and he was sitting there drinking himself drunk, and he watched another wino right next to him die. And as he watched this guy die, all of a sudden, it just dawned on him, this is where I'm headed. I'm going to be here in a short period of time. And and he finally decided that this pity and stuff isn't going to help anything. And he says, I'm coming out of here. And he broke that bottle, and he says, I'm not drinking anymore. And he began, and uh, this has been written up in um, Reader's Digest and a number of different things. But if you talk to him behind the scenes, this guy is more than just a self-help thing. He cried out to God for help. God began to start showing him some things. And anyway, he uh, got his life straight, went and got a job, started working and making things happen, and he decided to start helping other people that were hurting, all these kind of things happening. And and he went, and it's a long story, but he went and got one of these old uh, places in Denver. There was a building where all the windows were knocked out the thing was falling in and he went and asked somebody if he could use that they rented it to him for one dollar a year then he went to another person that owned a lumber company and this guy gave him about ten or fifteen thousand dollars worth of lumber to fix that place up and then he started getting all of his friends off of the street and they came in and they remodeled that home and they donated their time And what he did in return was feed them and give them a place to stay. Anyway, now he has hundreds of people that come through there. And this guy's got like a 95% cure rate. Anybody that goes through his program. He refused to take any government money because they'll make him start dealing in psychology and dealing with these things. He gets in and he basically is telling the people that it's your choice. You can kick this if you want to. You can straighten your life out if you want to. And because he sees hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, and I've actually called him before to ask about getting people in, and he says, you can't get anybody in. They have to choose. They have to be willing. They have to be the one that calls me, and if they won't call, I won't take them in. And, you know, all he's doing is operating in spiritual principles. Somehow the religious people have gotten worse than the lost people in a lot of ways. Religious people are blaming God and saying it's God that controls everything. Nothing can happen in your life but what God allows it, what God wills it. That's not true. God doesn't control you like a pawn. God's purpose for you, He came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly, but it's your choice. You have to choose life or choose death. And every time you go out and you do something that you know is contrary to God's Word, it's not that God's going to get you. God's plan for you doesn't change. God has a perfect plan for you that doesn't change. Right, Romans 11:29 says that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. There are some people I've met that were called to preach, called to minister, and then they blow it so bad they think, oh, God could never use me, but the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. There are some of you that God has called you to be a blessing, to give, have a ministry of giving and to give to people. And you may be so poor you don't have two dimes to rub together. But you know what? God's gifts and God's callings never change. He still has the same purpose, the same plan for you. But you have to choose. You have to start cooperating. And every time you go out and do something contrary to what God's Word tells you to do, then you're choosing death. Right. See, this is the point I'm trying to get across is that it's not just up to you to do what you want. The Bible says it's either life or death. There isn't life or death plus a lot of other things in between. You know, there was an instance, I may have mentioned this here, but I I went to a church one time that uh, had just started ministering that it was really God's will for victory. Before that time, they were one of these churches that believed God could do anything, but they didn't know if it was God's will. So they'd just pray and kind of throw their prayer out there. And if it worked, well, then it must have been God. And if it didn't work, God must have some plan. Well, they got hold of the Word, and they started preaching that it was God's will for us to prosper in every situation. And they got up and started proclaiming healing and speaking forth healing. And, uh, I mean, within just a few weeks of doing that, there was a boy that was in a coma, and the whole church agreed together, and they fasted and prayed, and for six weeks they stood and believed. And two days before I arrived at that church, this boy died, and they had the funeral. Two days before my meeting started. So here they were. They had made this bold proclamation. The entire church fasted and prayed and stood for this boy to be healed, and they couldn't understand what happened. And so when I came in there, the whole church was really debating about, is this right or is it wrong? And they were looking to me to give them answers. And I didn't know what was going on. I just started telling them, hey, I don't know all the reasons, but I know what God's Word says. And I started meeting with the parents of this boy. And it's a long story, but you know what I found out? They had been having so much strife in that home, they were talking about getting a divorce. And I mean, they fought every day of their life. There was just tremendous strife. The boy was a teenager in school, and he had had so, he just had enough of it. And they had a fight that morning, and his mother told him, Get out, I never want to see you again, I disown you. There was tremendous strife. He went to school, broke the rules, left the school, went over to somebody's house, and they were playing with a gun, and he accidentally shot all through his head. That's how he got into the coma. And they started praying and believing, and then they just couldn't understand why God wouldn't heal. Now, see, what I'm saying is, see, there's some people that only hear part of this story. They hear that somebody was in a coma. They prayed for healing, and how come nothing happened? you got to understand that there's a spiritual world out there, and there are reasons why things happen. And the Scripture says in James chapter 3, verse 16, it says, "...where envying and strife is..." There is confusion and every evil work. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says God is not the author of confusion. Satan is the author of confusion. So when it says where envying and strife is, there's confusion, it's saying where envying and strife is, there's the devil and every evil work. Envy and strife just opens up a door to the devil into your life. I mean, it's like saying, Satan, shoot your best shot. Throw anything you got at me and see if I can stand it. It's just like a a lightning rod saying, you know, strike me. I guarantee you strife is a bitter, terrible thing in your life. These people were operating in huge amounts of strife. Now, God loved them. God didn't forsake them. God still desired nothing but good for them. God had a purpose for this boy. This boy loved God. This boy just made some mistakes. He made some wrong choices. God didn't will for this boy to die, God wasn't into that, but God's will doesn't automatically come to pass in your life because there's an enemy out there that's trying to stop it. He can't stop it directly by himself, but what he'll try and do is get you to release the power that stops God. God flows through your life through invitation. He doesn't force himself upon you. The devil's the one that tries to force himself. God has to be invited. It takes faith to release the ability of God. So God didn't will for this boy to die. God didn't will for these things to happen. God didn't cause that boy to get shot in the head trying to teach his parents something. Religion will tell you that. Religion will tell you God must have had a purpose. God didn't have a purpose in that. That was not God's will. God is not the one that's killing babies. God is not the one that's making you miserable and taking your jobs away. And God is not the one that's destroying you. God has a plan for good for you. That's right. But through strife, these people opened up a door to the devil. They allowed Satan to come flooding in. Somebody might say, well, they may not have known that scripture. You know, just because a person doesn't know what a snake is doesn't mean that a snake can't kill you. Snakes are not uh, sensitive to whether you're an adult and whether you know the truth or whether you're an innocent child. You know, they'll bite a child the same as they'll bite an adult. The truth remains that ignorance isn't an excuse for allowing Satan into our life. And we set certain things in motion. Now, they didn't relate. They didn't relate the strife to what was happening. But when I got there and found out, I started ministering on this scripture. And I told them, I said, I'm not saying this to condemn anybody. I'm not saying it to put you under guilt and make you feel like you are totally responsible. But I'm saying Satan is the one that came against you. But there is a reason why he was able to devour. The Bible says over in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. Satan cannot devour everybody. He can't do it. He likes to make you think. I've actually heard people before say, Oh, I'd never stand up and make a bold statement that I've never had this happen or that I'm prosperous. Because the moment you say that, Satan's going to hear it. And they're trying to keep out of Satan's way. They don't want the devil to know. They're afraid he's going to come get them. And you know what the proper attitude ought to be? I hope he turns around and comes at me because I'll cut his head off with the word. You ought to be in an attack mode. You ought to be seeking out the enemy and trying to destroy him instead of trying to hide from him and hoping that he doesn't come around you. That's not the proper attitude. That's the attitude of a loser. That's the attitude of a person that doesn't know their authority. Now, I'm not ignorant of the devil, and I'm not saying foolish things about him, and I'm not sitting here just trying to mock. I'm sitting here insulting him. There's a difference. <laughs> Amen? I'm insulting the devil and telling him what the Word says. I'm not ignoring him, and I'm not ignorant of his devices. But praise God, I'm not afraid that the devil's going to hear me. I hope he hears me. Thank you for that thunder silence. <laughs> But see, there's reasons why Satan has inroads into our life. There's reasons why things happen. And you may not relate your actions to it. But there are reasons. And you empower the devil. You actually release power and authority. I had a woman at one of my meetings in this same city. And I was there leading a a service. And this was in an independent service, in an auditorium. And I was running the sound back at the back. And, you know, the first time I ever go into an area, it's neat, because nobody knows what I look like. They've only heard me on radio, so nobody knows. And I'll go up and talk to people and visit with them. And I have people all the time say, well, what's this guy like? Have you ever heard him? I say, oh, yeah, I've heard him. And they'll tell me all, I can find out all kinds of things. It's really fun. And then I find, when I get up there, they, they begin to start getting embarrassed what they said. But anyway, I was talking to this one lady. She didn't know who I was. And so anyway, she was standing there, and she was trying to worship the Lord. And she had her hands up like this, and her little kid was pulling on her, and go, mom, mommy, mommy, and this kid was a pain. I got to admit, but nonetheless, this kid was pulling on the mama's dress, and she's trying to worship God and just ignoring her. None of you know what I'm talking about, right? It just amazes me. Some of the people that can—I mean, it is supernatural the way they can ignore their kids, and everybody else is offended by them, but it's just like they don't even hear what's going on. Somebody else has heard that, huh? <laughs> Well, she was ignoring this kid and finally this kid got on her nerves and she just turns around and, I mean, slaps this kid right across the face and says, Shut up, kid! I'm praising God! And then she goes back and I was watching this and I kind of shook my head like, I bet she wonders why she doesn't feel the presence of God.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean... How dumb can you get and still breathe? (laughs) That's an old Rodney Howard Brown saying. That's funny. But you know, some people don't recognize it. Well, what did I do? Man, through strife, you open up a door to every evil work. You open up a door. Some of you are poor, and you can't understand why. I gave when Dean said I was supposed to give. I'm trying to do these things. How come nothing's working for me? Through your attitude and through your actions, you're releasing the devil. You're driving him out the front door and inviting him in, the back door, the side door, and all the windows. Then you're allowing him to come in seven times worse, not realizing that your actions are important. Your actions can either uh, uh, release the power of God or it can release the power of the devil. There's a spiritual battle going on in you. It's it's not that God's going to get you. God loves you. God is not going to punish you. God's not going to kill your kids. But I tell you what, you got an enemy out there that actually, as far as his own power goes, is powerless. But he is just waiting to jump on the slightest little thing that you give him. Satan is out there, and if you live a sloppy life, if you aren't seeking God, you are releasing spiritual power in your life. There are reasons why some people succeed. There's reasons why Marshall, 10 years after being in jail, is prospering and working. There's reasons. That didn't happen accidentally. And it's not God that just chose to bless Marshall, and why hadn't God blessed me? God has a perfect plan. Marshall hadn't even tapped into a tenth of what God has for him. There's more than what he's tapped into. He's only hit a certain percentage of it. God has a perfect plan for every last one of you. But the difference is, He's begun to start taking some of the power and authority and he's started using it and he's cooperating and he's flowing with what God has for him. And there's others that are back there and you may be praying more than Marshall. You may be begging more than Marshall. You may need it more than Marshall. But God doesn't move according to desperation. He doesn't move according to how who's the worst shape. If he did that, some of you would have already been blessed. But God moves through faith, and it's when you start believing and start taking some steps and taking control of your life. Somebody wants changes in your life, but you're just passively saying, "Oh God, I'm asking you to move in my life. It's not up to God to move in your life. God's already done his part. God's already died for you. just like we saw in this drama tonight, He conquered the devil. There is no problem. God doesn't have to come and rebuke the devil. Guess who's got authority over the devil? It's you. There's some of you that recognize, hey, I've got to rebuke the devil. Yeah. But you know what? In the area of finances, you don't understand that you've got authority over finances. If you aren't prospering, it's not because God hasn't prospered you. The Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might be made rich. God has already died to bless you and to prosper you. He died. That's a part of His atonement. The Lord would no more put poverty in your life than He would put sin in your life. If you don't believe that God would ever lead you into sin, then how could you ever believe that it's God's will for you to be poor? That's just a religious teaching, a religious concept that's kept people in in bondage. God has already commanded the blessing upon you. Is what the Scripture says. God's already done it. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath, that means past tense, already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. God has already blessed you. If you're praying and saying, Oh God, please bless me, you're, you're wasting your breath. You've already started from a position of unbelief. God says he's already commanded the blessing on you, and you're saying, Oh God, bless me. You aren't you don't have the same attitude that God has. God's already blessed you. Yeah. God's already said that I, you will that whatever you set your hand unto will be blessed. You're already blessed. God's commanded a blessing on you. But instead of us taking faith and saying, "Thank you, Father. It's mine. I'm going to set my hand unto something and in the name of Jesus I'll prosper." Yeah. Instead of that kind of attitude, which is an attitude of authority, recognizing that God has commanded and that you can do it. Most Christians are sitting back saying, "Oh God, please bless me." And you know what God said He would He would multiply what you set your hand unto. You know what a hundred times zero is? Zero. <laughs> That's the reason a lot of people aren't blessed. They hadn't set their hands into anything. They hadn't been faithful. They aren't giving. They aren't participating. They aren't doing anything, and yet they're asking God to bless them, not understanding that God flows through you. God doesn't move in your life independent of you. I tell you, I'm sharing, I'm sharing some things that are important, but it's also potentially dangerous. It would be easy for somebody to misunderstand what I'm saying and get to where you think that you're God and that you're the one that has all power and authority. I am not saying that. Man, if, you, if, if I could tell you everything I know in one hour, I'd try and share that with you. But I'm not saying that. It's God's power, but I'm saying you're the one that it's invested in. He's the one that the power originates from. It has to be God's power, but it's your choice that activates it. You're the one with the choice. When you choose, God's power will begin to flow through you. It'll be supernatural. It is not natural. I'm not talking about natural. This isn't natural for a man to come out of prison and then start prospering. That's not normal. It's natural. It's God. But I guarantee you it's His choices. God has good choices for every last one of I mean, God has a perfect plan for everybody's life, but it doesn't automatically come to pass because there's a lot of people that just don't... I mean, they have a jelly for a backbone. They aren't making any decisions. They're just waiting on God. Instead of standing up and taking your authority, not understanding that you are the one that has the authority, the devil trembles at you. You know, when I first got turned on to the Lord and I began to realize that there was a spiritual world I began to realize there were demons and that they weren't all in Africa and that they were influencing me and they were, they were exerting influence on my life. I began to start becoming aware of some things. And one of the, one of the things was that in our house, my grandmother, uh, she went senile and she had some serious problems. And anyway, she died. And when she, when she died, she left some spirits in our house. And I moved into her room and I remember just as a seven or eight year old kid waking up in the middle of the night and hearing things and seeing her picture come alive and move all around that room and all kinds of things happening. And I was just seven or eight and I didn't know what was happening but I knew I wasn't, it wasn't supposed to be this way and I was afraid to say anything to anybody. So I never told anybody but you know what? I moved out of that room. My brother moved out of that room. My sister moved out of that room. And you know what we did from the time my grandmother died? That room was closed and locked, and we never used it. Nobody knew why, but nobody liked that room. It's possible everybody had one of those kind of experiences, and nobody had owned up to it. And when my sister came back home with her kids, you know, that was the only room left. And so she would go in there, and and, uh, my niece would be asleep. She'd walk in that room, and she'd start crying. Walk out, and she'd fall back asleep. Walk in that room, she'd cry. Walk out, and she'd fall asleep. And even my lightning fast mind to begin to catch on that there was something wrong in that room. And then when I became aware that there was demonic spirits, as I was praying one day, we always walked by that room and kept it shut. It dawned on me that the reason was that there was demonic powers in that room. There was satanic stuff. And so after praying and after a few days of thinking about this, I decided I was going to go in there and get rid of those things. That wasn't right. Satan had no right to dominate our house like that. So I walked in there, closed that door behind me, and I went to rebuking the devil. And even though I was saying the right things, boy, in my heart, there was fear. This is the first time I'd ever dealt with this, and I was thinking, oh, God, I am glad I can't see in the spirit realm. I said, man, if I could could just picture myself in between these huge demons with claws and fangs, just, I mean, ready to devour me, and I'm just walking through them, and it's nothing but the blood of Jesus preserving me from them. And I was saying, oh, God, it's a good thing I can't see into the spiritual realm. And he spoke to me and he said, no, you got it all wrong. He says, if you could see into the spiritual realm, you'd see these little sniveling demons over there in the corner that are weak, that are powerless. They have no authority. And all they're doing is screaming and trying to intimidate you. And you know what? When I saw it that way, all of a sudden, boy, it's just like the Incredible Hulk. Man, I mean, the spirit of might came on me, and all of a sudden I got to say and, say, and I mean, the fear left, and my whole attitude changed. The truth is, Satan is not who we think that he is. Let me share some scriptures with you over here in Isaiah chapter 14. Look at this. Isaiah 14. This passage of scripture is talking about the king of Babylon. But it's actually, I believe, talking about Satan, and I base that on the fact that in verse 12, I believe it is, it even uses the name Lucifer. And most people say that even though this is talking about a person, it's actually talking about the demonic power behind him that empowered him. And you can see this in the New Testament, 16th chapter of the book of Matthew. Jesus turned around and he was talking to Satan, but he was talking to Satan in Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. He wasn't talking to Peter, but he was talking to Peter. He was looking right at him, pointing his finger at him, and yet he said, Satan. And so Satan can flow through, manipulate, operate through people. And God spoke to a person, but he was actually speaking to the demonic power behind him. And I believe that's what happened here in the 14th chapter of Isaiah. And so let's look in uh, Isaiah chapter 14. In verse 4, says that thou take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased? The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted, and none hindereth. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing, Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee. And the cedars of Lebanon saying, Since thou art laid down, no feller has come up against us. That is not a southern talk for no fella This is no feller. That means no person that cuts down the trees. Amen. These are the trees talking, saying, Nobody's cutting us down since you've ceased. Amen. No feller has come up against us. Verse 9 says, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It is raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. Now, again, this is talking about Satan, and it's describing God's judgment on him and showing you that when he's judged, that hell is going to... I mean, everybody in their cage, in their pit, they're going to come out with their chains, and everybody's going to stand there and look at Satan as he's judged and as he's cast into hell. Every king, every prince... Every power that has ever been thrown into hell, when Satan is thrown down there, they're going to stand up to see this one that has caused all of this havoc. And it says, uh, verse 10, All they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Thy pomp is brought down to the grave in the noise of thy vials. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. How art thou fallen from heaven? O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee, and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners? And it goes on to talk about everybody else is at peace in the grave, but not Satan. Boy, he's tormenting. And you know, one of the things I believe that's going to happen is that when we stand before the Lord, and brothers and sisters, this is not theory. There is a true God, there is a devil. There is a heaven, there is a hell. There are angels, there are demons. This is not theory, this is actual. Just because you can't see it and perceive it with your little peanut brain does not mean that it doesn't exist. There is reality in that area and someday when we see the devil, you know what our response is gonna be? We're gonna see him and say, is this the devil? Is this the one that terrorized me? Is this the one that intimidated me and told me I'd never amount to anything? And we're going to look at him, and he is going to be the puniest, sorriest-looking thing that you have ever seen in all of your life. And you are going to kick yourself from one end to the other, saying, why did I let this coward dominate my life? That's the truth. I believe one of the reasons that the Lord is going to have to wipe all tears away from our eyes is when we see... That we're the ones that had all power and all authority and that we let a coward beat us, there's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth and we're going to have to have God wipe the tears away from our eyes and console us so that we can enjoy heaven. We're going to recognize it's the devil that killed people in your family and you sat there thinking that it was cancer. You sat there and thought that, well, you don't understand. Uh, They did this. They used to work with asbestos and, oh, give me a break. Well, brother, don't you believe there are physical things? Yeah, I do, but I, I believe the spiritual realm is so real that if you draw on the power of God, you could overcome any of those kind of things. It's no big deal. Man, some of you are so tied into the natural. You look at things from the natural realm and don't recognize that there is a demonic power that empowers those things and makes things work. And somebody just submit to whatever comes down the pipe, not understanding that you've got authority and power to change things. We're going to be amazed when we stand there and see the devil and say, "Is this the one? This the one that ruined my life?" And boy, you are going to be just a little bit upset. I can tell you right now, the devil knows who's the ones with authority and power. The devil knows that it's not it's not him that has his power. Satan rules through intimidation. He rules through lies and through deception. We read that scripture this morning. Turn back over to Ephesians chapter 6 and look at this. Paul said this in verse 10 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice it said that you have to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles means the deception or the deceit. Satan's only power that he has against you is deceit, it's deception. Satan is lying to you. Satan is intimidating you. Satan is just like a bully and... You know, did you ever meet a bully in school? Somebody that picked on you, went around, threatened to beat up people and all this? You know, you, you'll find out that bullies are actually cowards. They will prey upon the weak. They will only try and bully the people who are weak and they'll use them to intimidate other people. And I've actually seen bullies before that when somebody stands up to them, they may get beaten. The, the bully may beat them. But when they stand up to him, this bully has lost his authority and power. He won't mess with that person again. When he knows that there is going to be some retribution and that he's going to have to fight instead of just intimidate his way through things, he'll actually leave that person alone. Amen? That's the truth. That's the way a bully operates. And you know, that's the way that Satan operates. Satan comes against people just like that. Satan intimidates you. And Satan is the one that's telling you that he's the one that's going to destroy your life. But the moment you stand up to him, I guarantee you the devil cannot handle that. Some of you may have heard my stories about dogs. But, you know, I used to be afraid of dogs. I wasn't terrified of them. But, I mean, I've been bitten so many times that I just uh, gave dogs a wide berth. And uh, I'm a jogger. And I've had dogs tree me from one end of this country to the other. I actually spent hours in trees before because dogs had me circled. And it was like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. nobody's around to help. I've, I've had a lot of dogs bite me and different things. So anyway, I, I avoided them if I could. Now, I like dogs. i got dogs myself, but I'm talking about ones that come out and attack you or something. And then one day I was in Trinidad, Colorado, and I was spending the night with a guy that had a pit bulldog. And, you know, pit bulldogs have a reputation for being pretty mean. And this pit bulldog had won all kinds of awards for being an attack dog. He had trophies on the wall and plaques and ribbons for being an attack dog. He had won all of these competitions. And I was sleeping in the room that this pit bulldog stayed in. And I asked this guy, I said, what's going to happen if I have to get up in the middle of the night with this dog in here? And he said, oh, it's no problem. And... I looked at him and then I looked at all these trophies on the wall and <laughs> he could tell I was having a problem with this and I said, and he said, look, my dog isn't a mean dog, it's an attack dog. And to myself, I thought, what's the difference? <laughs> and you know, he began to explain to me, he says, hey, my dog had never hurt anybody. And he gave me an example of a guy that broke into their home to rob it and this pit bulldog jumped on him and he fell on the ground and this pit bulldog for three and a half hours kept his mouth around the arm of this guy and every time he'd start to move he'd growl and squeeze but he never did break the skin on this guy he never hurt him he never did anything he says an attack dog is trained for defense and things like that but he wouldn't hurt anybody says a dog that would go bite somebody is nothing but a mean dog he says I'd kill a dog like that and when he said that something just Hit me. It was, and the Lord brought back all kinds of scriptures, like Genesis chapter 9, where it says, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the field. And you know, I began to realize that I had been letting dogs steal from me the authority that God had given me. I'm the one with the God given authority over animals. And somebody may think this is weird, but it works. I've actually gone out to horses before that other people couldn't handle, and i go take authority over those things and command those horses to respond to me. And you know, an animal can perceive that. I'm not going to make a huge doctrine out of that, but those of you that have animals, an animal can perceive whether you're operating in fear or whether you're operating in faith. And I just realized that I'd allowed dogs to intimidate me. And something changed in my way of thinking. And I tell you, over a period of just a month or two, I developed an attitude that if a dog came out against me, that dog had best be able to defend itself. And I've never killed a dog, but I tell you what, I've gotten very upset at a dog. Now, I'm still not going to violate a dog's territory. If a dog just had puppies, it's natural to defend itself. If a dog's got its territory, I'm not going to go in and just challenge it. But when I'm running down a city street and a dog comes out after me, that dog had best be able to defend itself. And I've got a good example. Just the last week, I've had one dog, a blue heeler, come out against me about four days in a row. And the first day, that dog, I didn't know it was there and I had to get down in that dog's face and fight it off. The next day, now I've got a a pile of rocks on both sides of that house. And right as I get to that house, I grab rocks in both hands and that dog comes out. I have been beating the snot out of that dog. (laughs) And that dog now sees me and yelps and I tell you what, guess who's intimidated? (laughs) Not me. As a matter of fact, I was jogging with Mike Falauer and when when we got to that house, I was telling him about it, and he got on the other side. I got over here so I could get a good, clean shot at it. I was waiting on it. I was saying, I hope this dog comes out. I'm going to teach you a lesson. And you know what? I found out that since I've had that attitude, I have never yet had a dog back me down, and that's been over 10 years. I was in Sylacaque, Alabama, and I had two Doberman Pinchers come after me, which those were the dogs that bothered me the most. But you know what? After I got this revelation, I got right down in the face of those Dobermans. And I mean, I was fighting them. I was kicking, I was after them, and it was something to see these Dobermans running down the street and me chasing them. I was chasing the dogs. (laughs) And I'm really not here to tell you about how to jog and chase dogs. My point is to say that Satan is just like that. Satan is actually a coward. Satan actually is afraid of you. He knows your authority and power. His whole thing is wiles, deception, lies, deceit. Satan is there to intimidate you, and a person who's misinformed will actually think that Satan, oh man, it's it's just terrible the things that Satan can do. Satan has no power unless you empower him. Cancer's no problem. Cancer's nothing. Cancer is not hard for God. It's not like God dreads cancer. It's not like God says, oh, I hope nothing hard comes up tonight. It's not like the Lord is saying, oh, man, don't embarrass me. Don't try and minister to somebody who's really bad. Just stick to headaches or colds. or." You know, God isn't intimidated by any of these things. It's us. It's us that gets bothered by this. But cancer is no harder for God than a cold. I ministered to a woman one time that had a cancer and she came up to me crying and she says, the doctor says I've got six weeks to live and the only hope is to perform a complete hysterectomy and I only have a 50-50 chance of living then. And she says, I want children more than anything. And she came up crying and you know what I did? I started laughing. And I don't always respond this way, but I just was in a laughing mood. And I started laughing and here she was crying. And she looked at me like, how could you do this? What you what's wrong and I said cancer's no problem with God I said it's not a big deal why don't you just get healed and you know what she had just been listening to the devil so much that cancer had become a big thing to her Kay Purvis back here was healed of cancer she's healed of it it's over with and I talked to her when she was in the hospital bed back there in Augusta, Georgia she's healed of cancer how many of you been healed of cancer in here here's a brother that's healed of cancer anybody else here's another one see cancer's been defeated cancer's got a name the Bible says Jesus is above every name So Jesus is above cancer. The only thing that makes cancer powerful is you. Why we feel different about cancer than we do about a cold is because medical science can do something about a cold. And even if nothing happens, you can eventually outlast a cold. But the truth is, a cold is actually, they have less that they can do for a cold than they can do for cancer. You know, there's more that they can do to treat cancer than they can a cold. You can cut a cancer out. You can hit it with chemotherapy and you can kill cancer cells. But you know, a cold, there is zip, zero zips that can be done for a cold. All your cold medications, all it does is deaden you to the symptoms. It may stop your nose from running, but the cold is actually in your body. And it'll run longer if you're on medication than if you aren't on medication. It actually slows down your own immune system. It'll deal with the effects, but there's actually less that men can do for a cold than there is a cancer but most people don't look at it that way. Because cancer kills people, we get fearful of cancer, and you're the one that empowers cancer. If you turned your thinking around and got to looking at it properly, you'd find out cancer's no big deal. It's no problem. It's not like God, oh, we really got to pray this time.
1: <laughs>
0: cancer's not hard. I know some of you are thinking, what planet have you come from? Where have you been? I've been in the Word it <laughs> will change your attitude about some things the point that I'm trying to get across is brothers and sisters we're the ones that have authority and power Satan I, I haven't got time to, tonight I was headed that direction tonight but maybe tomorrow night I'll, I'll share this with you where Satan got his power and authority from it didn't come from God Satan is not using a superior, angelic, a demonic, angelic, fallen angel power against us. Satan doesn't have any of that. The power that he had as an angel was a delegated power. And the moment he rebelled at God, he ceased to have any power, any virtue. Satan's only power is deception. He's actually getting you to destroy yourself. You're the one that's stopping the power of God and releasing the power of the devil. Satan can't do anything except through you. If you learn this lesson and you learn it, it doesn't matter what the devil is trying to do, you have to yield to it to empower him, then I guarantee you it'll give you a boldness and a confidence. It'll give you a motivation why you're supposed to live holy and why you're supposed to seek God. I don't live holy so that God will love me. God loves me by grace through Jesus. God doesn't demand my holiness. If he did, I could never get free. I could never have a relationship with him. God loves me by grace, not based on performance. But even though God doesn't deal with me on performance, Satan does. And Satan takes advantage of actions and of thoughts and of attitudes that are contrary to the Word of God. And man, I've learned to resist Him. I've learned not to yield to Him. I've learned that there's consequences. I go out here and start getting into bitterness and strife. Somebody might think, well, they deserve it. I can't hurt them. You know, I've had people before when somebody pulls in front of you in traffic and you raise your fist or honk the horn at them and you, you stupid jerk. I know some of these things firsthand. I've driven with my daddy-in-law and that's the way he is. Well, he'll just yell at them and scream and do all kinds of things and they think, well, they don't know what I'm saying. I didn't hurt them. you got to realize it doesn't matter whether the other person has been hurt or not. If you're bitter at somebody, some of you think, Well, i got a right to be bitter. They deserve it. I don't care what it does to them. Strife isn't hurting the other person. It's hurting you. It's setting spiritual laws in motion where envy and strife is. There's confusion in every evil work, James 3.16. Strife is an inroad of Satan into your life. Satan is destroying you through your strife, not the other person. You're releasing spiritual powers every time you get into criticism and bitterness. Every time you get judgmental and you start talking about people, the Bible talks about a scorner. And the scorner is just a person that sits there and criticizes other people. A person that's always got an opinion. You know what? You're releasing spiritual powers. You're yielding yourself to spiritual powers every time you do that. And you're opening up an inroad of Satan into your life. I led a guy to the Lord one time that came from a terrible situation. Long story, but... He had such a bad background that he honestly didn't realize how bad things were in his life. He was abused. He was in reformatories from the time he was five years old. He's the first person in the history of California that was indicted three times before he was 13 years old. And this guy had lived such a bad life that when he got born again, he was so good compared to what he had been. He didn't realize some of the things going on in his life. And anyway, he worked on cars. And one day I came over to his house and I walked around the corner. And this guy had been trying to upholster this old car and it wasn't working out. And he got mad and he had a two before and he was beating the fire out of this car, cussing it, blaspheming this car, cursing it, saying all kinds of things to this car. And I walked around the corner and he saw me and I must have looked shocked or something. And he looked at me and he says, well, it's just a car. I can't hurt the car. He's in effect, was saying, it doesn't matter what I say to this car. And I told him, I said, look, it's not the car that's getting hurt through your anger and through your bitterness. You are releasing spiritual powers when you do that. It doesn't matter if the other person ever gets hurt. It doesn't matter if the other person knows how you feel. It doesn't matter if it's in traffic. It doesn't matter if it's a politician. Even Christians think politicians are fair game that you can say whatever you want to and call them of the devil. Thank you for that thunderous silence. I'm not saying you can't have an opinion, but there's a nice way to disagree, and then there's a way to just be critical and blast people and all of this. You know, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It doesn't matter how justified you are. Your strife will release spiritual powers in your life, and then you'll just... I can't understand why I'm not prosperous. I can't understand why nothing works for me, and yet you're just as mean as a snake. You blast everybody. You criticize them and you just don't have a clue as to why nothing works for you. That's ignorance gone to seed. Your actions, your thoughts, your attitudes are connected to what's going on. And you may not see the the correlation, you may not see the relationship, but I can promise you there are reasons why your life is in the shape that it's in. And seeking God, seeking God has tremendous value because as you seek God in the same way that you empower Satan through your negative actions, you release God's ability. God has a perfect plan for everyone here, but it cannot come to pass without your cooperation. He flows through you. It's not you doing anything without God. But on the other hand, God will not do anything without you. God flows through people. You know, that's the reason that we're having a meeting here tonight. We're believers. All of you know God. All of you can receive directly from God, but you know why we have meetings and you bring in a speaker and you do these kind of things is because God flows through people. Yeah, and you could just sit at home and you know God, but you sometimes need to be stirred. Sometimes God needs to challenge you. There are gifts that God puts in the church to come and challenge you and do things like this. God flows through people. And I can guarantee you if we just all men here and we didn't have anybody that was speaking God's Word and challenging us and saying the things of God, God wouldn't manifest in Himself in the same way. Why? Because I'm somebody special? No. But just because God flows through people. If it was totally up to God, if it was just pure God and there was no human instrument involved, I can guarantee you God would minister to you in your home stronger than you could stand. God would minister to you everywhere. You'd never have to go anywhere. But God flows through people. And the sad thing is, most of us aren't in tune to God the way that we should be. We aren't hearing 100% from God, and so we got to come and listen to somebody and have somebody challenge us. God flows through people. God won't do anything without a person. Every time God ever moves, there's always a person. I'm going to be explaining this more tomorrow night. I'm just saying some things now. If you come back tomorrow night, I'm going to give you some verification and we'll go through Scripture and I'll show you some things that I promise you will forever change the way that you see God moving through people, that God flows through people. Things don't happen without people. This whole thing that people say, well, this is a sovereign work of God, there is no such thing. That's
1: true.
0: Somebody said, I can't believe you said that. I tell you, I I try not to be contentious over this thing because some people mean different things by words. I'm not technically opposed to when people say that God is sovereign if they mean by that that He's all-powerful. I agree with that. But what most people mean by sovereign is that they mean this was independent. God moved independent of anybody. This was a sovereign work of God, and they'll say nobody prayed, it was just God. That's not true. It cannot happen. God will not move without flowing through a person. If He could, if He... Well, He's got the power, but if He would do things that way, then I guarantee you God would have straightened things out and we'd have been out here a long time ago. It's not up to God that's letting things drag on. Some people think, well, it's just God is in control of things. There was this move of the Holy Spirit back in the 40s and the 50s where we had the healing wave. And then there was the righteousness and then the word movement and then there's been this and then there's been that. And they say God is just moving sovereignly and it's God's power. God didn't like that. I guarantee you God didn't ordain the church to go through the dark ages. God never ordained for the church to be without the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the gifts of healing and the gifts of the Spirit and righteousness. God has not dictated that the the body of Christ just suffer for 2,000 years and until the 1900s come back into the baptism of the Holy Ghost. God was willing for us to have it all along, but people quit being used. People quit speaking and doing the things of God. And people were the ones that hindered the flow of God. And when they received the miracle of healing and the healings began to flow through Oral Roberts and through Branham and through all of these guys, Lindsay's and all of these people, when the power of God began to be manifest, people say it was just a sovereign move of God. God brought healing back into the body of Christ. No, God had healing for the body of Christ all along. And you know what it was? Somebody. And I'm not sure of all of the people, but I know that Oral Roberts is one. I read his testimony. Oral Roberts got to realizing that there was more. And he just kind of stretched himself and stepped out. And Oral Roberts says that he saw it in the Word. I read his biography about this. And he held a meeting. I think it was in Lawton, Oklahoma. I may miss some of the details, but he rented a hall... And he said, God, I'm tired of this powerless religion. It's not according to the Word. And he says, if there's true power, if there's healing, I'm holding this meeting. And he gave God three ultimatums, which, you know, it's not right to give God ultimatums. But what he was doing, he was exercising his authority. He was saying, God, I'm putting you to the test. Either your word's true or it isn't true. He says, there has to be exactly so many people at this meeting. There has to be exactly a certain amount of money that came in and covered the expenses and everything that he had to spend, and he says, we've got to see at least one notable miracle. And so you know what he did? He rented that hall. The first thing he did before anything happened, before the uh, ministry started, he looked behind the curtain, and he stood there and counted, and there was more people than what he said the minimum was. So he said, that's one down. Then the next thing he did, he didn't come out and have a song service or anything. He took up an offering. And he said, this offering has to be so much. or I'm leaving. I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to minister to anybody. He counted the offering. I think it was exactly what he had to have. And then he got up and he presented this message that he had seen in the Word about how God moves in power and God heals. And then he just basically said, is there anybody here who wants prayer? And he prayed and he saw a person heal. And before you knew it, the power of God began to flow and the news spread and Oral Roberts became an overnight sensation. And then people said, well, God's moving in a sovereign way. No, God had been wanting to do that for nearly 2,000 years and it was the first person that had enough nerve to step out and let God flow through them. Amen. And then the rest of the body of Christ, instead of them being challenged by that and saying, well, I'm going to challenge, I'm going to stand out, step out, and I'm going to start using my authority in the area of gifts or in the authority of whatever. Instead, most of them, just like little ducks, they saw that somebody else had made the inroad, somebody else had worked, and they just jumped in line behind them. And all of a sudden, healing started springing up everywhere. And we started having all kinds of healing evangelists. And they had the healing messenger and the voice of healing and all of these things. And you know what it was? God was manifesting healing. But why? Because that's all that people could get their faith up for. That's all they could believe for. God would have done everything else back then if they would have been receptive to it. But instead of them going directly to God, they followed a man. And one man kind of blazed the trail. And I may not have that chronological uh, exactly perfect, but I know that that was one of the big parts in this healing. And then you have Kenneth Copeland come along. There was other people, but Kenneth Copeland is the one that blazed the trail preaching righteousness and turned the church world right side up and was used in a mighty way. And you know what? Instead of people going to God and hearing from God and getting in all of the air, they just grabbed this one truth that Kenneth was preaching and went to following Him. And then we had the charismatic move and people say, wasn't it an awesome, sovereign move of God? No, God's been wanting to move that way for 2,000 years and it's just a few people that woke up and began to respond. What I'm saying is, you don't have to wait on God to release something. We don't have to pray and say, oh God, please pour out your power on Charlotte. Oh God and beseech God. God's wanting to move. You don't need to plead with God. God's wanting this city changed more than you want it changed. God's wanting power and authority to flow in this place more than you want it. God's looking for somebody that He can flow through. Somebody that will stand up and say, God, I believe Your Word. I believe that You don't will for any person to perish, but all to come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God, You said these signs would follow the preaching of the Word. that we'd cast out devils, You'd work with us and uh, confirm the Word with signs and wonders following, and then somebody go out in there and just do it yeah, instead of asking God to do it. Yeah. We want to pray, and then when the signs and wonders happen, we want to say, I prayed for that, and stand up and take credit. That's not the way. you got to jump out there. Yeah. you got to go to speaking to people. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, rise up. And then it happens. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't happen, and then you stand up and say, I prayed for that.
1: It's
0: <laughs> not the way that it works. Man, we aren't taking our authority. A tremendous amount of religious stuff today, praying for revival and all of this stuff, it is incorrect. It is not taking the authority and recognizing that God's already done His part. He's up to us to stand there and and demand what's rightfully ours. I'm preaching better than you're listening. Well, these are some powerful things. I'm not saying that it is your will that causes these things to happen. It's God's power, but your choice is kind of like the valve that either shuts it or releases it. It's God's power. You see people saved. You see the power of God manifest. It's God that's doing it. I can't heal a that. but I tell you what, I can choose to step out and say with boldness and with authority and faith what God's Word says, and then God will flow to bring it to pass. It has to be God's power. It's not my power, but I am the one that has control. I'm the one that can release God's power by stepping out in faith and saying the things, or I can stop God's power through my own fear or through my bitterness or through my strife or through all of the other things that Satan uses. I'm the one that has the choice. I got more power and authority than Paul. Somebody say, I can't believe you said that. That's because Paul's gone. He doesn't have a physical body. My physical body gives me more power and authority than Paul. It's isn't Paul's turn. It's my turn. Amen? This is your turn. There's nobody, there's nobody that has more authority in your life than you. Not the devil or anybody else. And if you got hold of this message and understood it, I guarantee you some things have change. Amen? There's a guy named John Lake. I don't know how many of you have heard of John Lake, but this man was a powerful man of God. He actually saw so many healings. He saw over 500,000 documented healings in Washington State back in the... When was it? Was it the 1800s or early 1900s? Early 1900s. He saw so many documented healings that the state of Washington actually gave him a medical license and allowed him to open up a hospital. They didn't administer medicine. People went around and anointed you with oil and prayed for you. I mean, he was more effective than all of the doctors combined. Saw multiple people raised from the dead. And you know how all of this got started? John Lake was born again. He loved God, but every single member of his family, father, mother, brother, sisters, aunts, uncles, every member of his family died with some incurable, abnormal disease like at the age of 30 or something. It was just like there was a plague. There was a curse in their family. And he was with his last remaining relative. I think it was his sister. And he was with her as she was dying. And he was saying, God, why? God, why are you allowing this? God, what's happening? And somehow the Lord got through to him that I'm not allowing this. You're the one that allowed it. And it shook him. And God began to speak to him and told him that it was not God's will for these people to die, but he had given us power. He said, you rebuke the devil and he'll flee from you. And he said, the reason your sister is dying is because you haven't taken authority and power. And so he began to exercise his authority. He called somebody on the phone, said, agree with me. He prayed for her and she died. (laughs) Right after he exercised his authority, they put a um mirror up to her nose, and there was no breath, you know, they couldn't see anything. And he just stood there, and he said, In the name of Jesus, I'm standing on the Word of God. And he kept speaking his authority, and that woman got raised from the dead. That confirmed to him that it was God's will for them to prosper. And this man went out, and I mean literally, just literally pulled thousands and thousands and thousands of people out of the kingdom of the devil. And it wasn't God that all of a sudden said, okay. I think I'll give the world a little glimpse of hope. I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to use you. It was him that finally got desperate enough. He cried out. He heard God's voice, and he stood up and began to do what God wants all of us to do. And John Lake, years later, was involved in the bubonic plague. He was helping the medical doctors, and they were seeing people die by the thousands. There were so many people dying, they couldn't even handle them. So John Lake, since he had this... uh, hospital he was helping the medical doctors and as they were dealing with all these people that were dying they saw one person convulse and foam at the mouth and die and as they were dealing with this person one of the doctors leaned over to him and says man aren't you glad that we've got an inoculation a vaccination against this and he looked at him and he says who's got a vaccination and this doctor just looked at him like don't tell me that you're dealing with all these people and you haven't been vaccinated against this and John Lake says, I don't need a vaccination. He says, the power of God's in my life. Any germ that touches my body dies instantly. And this doctor just looked at him. This doctor looked at him and says, you're crazy. And he said, I'll prove it to you. And he went and got one of those slides, you know, like we used in school. And they wiped, he had this doctor wipe the foam off of a person's mouth that had just died of the bubonic plague. And they put it under a microscope. And you could see all these germs moving around in there. And then he said, watch this. And he just touched that with his finger and instantly everything quit moving. Every germ died. Amen. And some people listen to that and think, oh, I wish God would anoint me that way. All he did was draw on what every believer's got. And through his faith, he released that power and just drew on what was already there. Every last one of us had that same power and much, much more. It doesn't matter who you think has obtained something, somebody who's mightily anointed and empowered to God, I can promise you they haven't used everything that there is to use. None of us are flowing in the power of the Holy Ghost the way that we should. Anybody who you see being used to God, there is infinitely more power and more authority than they've ever used. And it's not just that God has given them something that He hasn't given you, it's that they're using something that you aren't using. That's the difference. Man, you're the one with authority and power. If you don't like the way your life is, change it. Instead of griping and complaining and praying and begging and pleading, change it. Stand up and begin to make some decisions and say, hey, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. (laughs) Amen. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I think I'll change. Everybody, you know, I believe that many of you in here are walking in the Word and good things are happening, but is everybody in here 100% Satisfied? Is everything the way that it's supposed to be in your life? No, no. Well, then change it. Amen. It's your choice. Yeah. You can change your life. You're the one who was given the choice.
1: That's
0: right. Deuteronomy 30, 19. He says, I said before you life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose life. You choose life. God gave you the choice. It's your choice. If your life isn't going the way you want it to, You're ultimately the one that's made the wrong choices. It might be the devil that's fighting you, but you've empowered him through your fear, through your unbelief, through your lack of understanding the truth. You're the one that has authority over your life. You can change it. You can be anything that God intended you to be.